Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The Financial Sense Lifetime Income Program. Now, here's the Financial Sense News Team, Jim Paplava and John Leffler. Well, it is that time of the year when we think about charitable giving and the holidays are upon us. And it's also a great time to think about getting a tax deduction. It's never too late. And when it comes to charitable giving, how do you know the charity that you are giving money to will serve your best interest and that money is actually going to work? Joining us on the program as my guest is Betsy Brill. She is founder of Strategic Philanthropy. Betsy, let's talk about charitable giving. It's usually around this time of the year that individuals make large donations to charity and it's a great tax shelter. I'm glad to see that in both the Republican plan in the House and in the Senate, they did preserve the charitable deduction for giving. So let's talk about how does one go about choosing a charity, number one, and number two, how do you know you're giving to the right charity and that money's going to work? Well, thanks, Jim. It's a pleasure to be here. In terms of selecting charitable gifts, To be quite honest with you, one of the starting places is to really assess your giving to date and look at the themes, look at the amounts of the charitable checks you've been writing, and really assess your charitable gifts beyond looking at the financials. And I might say that many donors start out with a rating that they often find on a number of online services. And I'm here to really bust the myth of assessing a charity solely looking at their financials. It's very important to look at the context of a charity, to look at the work it's doing and the required staffing and leadership and the extent of its reach. And, of course, the financials, the organizational budget, should be appropriate given the kind of work that they're doing. But at the same time, one needs to really look at the context within which a charity is operating. Is it doing public policy work? Is it doing direct service? Is it engaged in advocacy? Is it working in a coalition of organizations to bring greater strength to changing the situation of many of the most marginalized individuals. And by looking at that context, you really come to understand how a charity needs to be structured, the kind of leadership that it needs, frankly, the pay for the executives of the nonprofits and the program staff. Some of these nonprofits who, for example, are working on public policy may need to hire attorneys. Some of the direct service organizations might need to hire psychologists, psychiatrists, if you're working in the mental health field. 
And these kinds of professionals command larger salaries. And so you might find that the overhead in those organizations is a bit top-heavy, so to speak, but that's not the sole point of assessment. The other is I think it's important to meet the leadership of an organization to blindly write a check and solely look at its, again, the ratios is to really rob yourself of the experience of getting to know a charity and making sure that it's aligned with what you've defined as your passions and your mission. So looking at the broad circle of elements to help you assess the health and the alignment of that charity with what you want to accomplish is really the starting point for determining whether or not that's a charity you'd like to write a check to. And once you do, you want to then assess the impact of that work. Are they, you know, serving meals to the number of people that they had stated they would? Are they actually working in coalition with a multitude of organizations to try and reform the very issues that, for example, create homelessness. The strength in numbers, do they have five coalition organizational members or 20? What have they committed to at the point at which you wrote your charitable check? So taking a moment to really assess impact is very important. And the other part, Jim, I would say, is to really be realistic. To not have, you know, what I would say, the metrics and benchmarks and evaluative elements that are not really aligned with what a charity can produce. A charity that has a budget of half a million dollars probably doesn't have an expert on staff to really gather those evaluative benchmarks. A larger organization probably has someone who's dedicated to doing evaluation and be realistic in terms of your expectations with regard to demonstration of impact. So looking at all of these things helps you to not only assess your charitable giving to date, but also look towards identifying those charities that might be aligned with what you want to accomplish. And the last thing I'll say about this is that donors need to be informed. Writing a charitable check in a vacuum around your kitchen table without really understanding the landscape of organizations. Who are the strongest and most reputable organizations out there that are working with the homeless? Who stands out? Who has demonstrated impact? Who else is doing what this charity does? So it's so important to be an informed donor. And one check from one donor is not going to catalyze change. You need a multitude of donors. And so going it alone is not the best strategy either. So these are the kinds of things I would think about. You have something on your website on being an informed 
philanthropists. And you have a couple categories, working with an advisor. You have a conversation series, getting insights. How does one go about becoming informed? Does one work with an advisor? Are there books to read? Are there classes? You mentioned a warning on just taking evaluation strictly off the internet might not tell you everything of the scope and the depth of an organization. So how does one become informed? Well, I think you point to something very important, and that is you have to have the right team of advisors around you. One's financial advisors and legal advisors and investment advisors play very critical roles. But what a donor is really missing in that mix of advisors is the fourth leg on the stool, and that's the philanthropic advisor who can conduct what we call opportunity analyses, which, as I was saying, really assesses the landscape, bubbles up opportunities, and ensures that along the way you stay educated because learning is fundamental to being an effective and informed donor. So working with a philanthropic advisor, you really benefit from having the kind of information you need, also putting in place a process for your annual giving. And if you have a private foundation or you have a donor-advised fund, you know, of course, with a private foundation, there are all kinds of compliance issues and do's and don'ts, but it's important to have a process for writing those charitable checks on an annual basis. And having that process allows you to seek proposals, have a philanthropic advisor assess those proposals, do, as I said earlier, meet the leadership. We call that site visits where you sit in person, you have strategic questions, and you garner more information. And actually, you know, there's something visceral about sitting with the leadership of an organization, meeting some of the beneficiaries. It really changes your perspective. It helps you feel connected. And a philanthropic advisor can help you through that process and continue on with that deep due diligence, the financials. Again, their evaluative methodology. And then ultimately can inform you and what I would call right-size your gifts so that on an annual basis, you feel you've made strategic, quote-unquote, investments in charities, potentially in the geographic region, with certain populations, and surely on the issues that are most aligned with your mission and passions. Betsy, are there situations, let's say you have a large organization, but there's a specific need or request you would like to have fulfilled within that organization. Do these large entities do things like that? I imagine if the gift was large enough or specific and related to the goals of the charity itself, but do they take special requests that, let's say, a donor has a specific thing they would like to do? Do they take that into consideration, and will they look at a proposal like that? Absolutely, but I would say the first step is for a donor to really, again, have a conversation with the organization and put forward their idea their concept of a project or a program they would like to philanthropically invest in. But I would say that foisting your 
analysis about what a nonprofit needs will not bring you to that successful outcome, but rather listening to the organization and allowing them to really articulate where you can make the most strategic investment. So the answer to the question is yes, but it should be done in concert with the organization. Successful gifts are not those that are solely directed by the donor, him or herself. And so maybe, as you mentioned, getting together, meeting individuals within the organization may shape or, let's say, change how an individual feels about giving or maybe a special request. What about foundations? Let's say individuals that are wealthy enough or let's say they set up something like a charitable remainder trust or they're thinking of doing something like that where they're going to name a specific charity. It seems to me it would behoove somebody making that sizable of a gift to meet with the charity or members of the charity before that's done. Absolutely. I think many donors make the mistake, and it's somewhat related to your question a moment ago, of putting named charities into their estate plan, whether that's within the charitable side of the leader remainder trust or within a private foundation or, frankly, planned gifts. The mistake that's made is to put projects or programs into your estate plan without having vetted them with the nonprofits themselves. And one of the things I was going to say to you is that Q4 right now is a wonderful opportunity to revisit your estate plan and make sure your intent is articulated Think about who you would like to be the stewards of your philanthropy and be sure to involve those stewards now. Not expect that they will know exactly how to follow your intent if you allow them to practice now by your side, whether as a formal board member or trustee or part of a giving committee. It's so important to involve them during your lifetime. And the other is to, if your expectation is to involve your family, be realistic about whether or not your family members can sit around the same table together. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. One mistake that many donors make is they hope their private foundation, for example, will carry on into perpetuity with the expectation that their children or relatives will sit around the table when maybe during life they don't get along very well. In that case, you're better off potentially creating separate private foundations in the estate plan or separate what we're now calling, and this is a growing vehicle, a donor-devised fund. So these are some of the things, and again, right-sizing your gift. So if you intend to put fractional amounts into particular charities, Be sure it's an amount the charity can absorb and that it won't crush the charity. 
So today, if that charity's budget is three quarters of a million dollars and you plan to leave five million dollars in your estate plan to that charity, you might smother them. (laughs) It might not be a good idea. So again, right-sizing your gifts. But now is a wonderful time to revisit your estate plan and all of those charitable elements. And it's also a great time since we have a bill working its way through Congress that may alter estate planning in many ways by the size of the increase in the exemption or maybe eventual elimination. But, you know, it's one of the things we do, Betsy, that whenever we have somebody that because we work with charitable remainder trusts setting them up is we insist that the individuals meet with the charities because, you know, when you're making a sizable bequest, as you just mentioned, a million dollars, I have one where it's going to be $20 million. It's sizable enough that you really should meet the people that you're going to have this money go to and see if there's really a good fit and get to know how or where your money is going to go to work. Absolutely. And I would also add to that that this is a wonderful role for the trusted advisor, the philanthropic advisor, is to play that navigational interpreter role so that the advisor can sit between the donor from whom they've come to understand what their philanthropic desires and intent is, and then to sit with the charity, the nonprofit, it could be an alma mater, it could be an art organization, a community-based organization, again, working on homelessness, but to extract from that organization what would be the most strategic gift. What are the kinds of things that they would hope donors would invest in in the future? And then to sort of translate that back to the donor and create a win-win at the end of the day that is realizable and realistic for the charity and, again, still aligned with what donors want to achieve. So that navigational role is really important, particularly for, as you mentioned, Jim, a $20 million gift. We have a client who named a business school, and it actually took a year to, you know, learn from this couple about what they had hoped to do to grow this business school, increase its rankings, ensure that it was a very reputable business school in the landscape of quote-unquote competitors. And then what we did is we went to the university and said, Here are the key elements and operative levers that our client would like to achieve to ensure, you know, the growing reputation of your business school. And then we received a plan from them on how they would go about achieving those results. But from the perspective of their benchmarks, their metrics, I mean, our client didn't understand How do you improve rankings of any university or, in this case, business school? There are a number of variables, and the university was able to articulate those benchmarks and metrics, and half of the naming of the business school is made during life, and the other half will be made within and allocated out of the estate plan upon their death. So there's annual reporting. And at the point at which our clients pass away, there will be an assessment 
of the extent to which this business school has reached these benchmarks and outcomes. And then additional funds will be allocated. So this, you can imagine the complexity of this. And it would have been quite difficult for our clients to sort of play that role of articulating everything they were interested in and then hearing from the university without pressure from both sides. You talk about laying out a plan, structuring things. There's so many things that are involved with charitable gifting. And obviously, when you are doing something like a charitable remainder trust where you're leaving substantial assets to a charity, or for that matter, you're making a living gift of substantial means, it's like anything else. It behooves you to become informed. And also, I think, what about the joy, Betsy, of getting involved and knowing that what you're doing is making a difference in changing people's lives? What about the gratification of doing that? It's very self-fulfilling. Absolutely. There's nothing more gratifying in my mind, or I'm somewhat biased, of course, because this is the world I live in every day, and I'm able to witness for all of our clients, the joy, the passion, the sense of accomplishment that goes beyond success in business, for example, that comes from making a very strategic and informed gift. And again, getting to know that organization, potentially sitting on that board, potentially volunteering. And in the case of, for example, a scholarship fund that's set up at a university, What a joy to sit with the scholarship recipients, to hear how the scholarship has advanced their academic career, and then down the road, what it's meant for them professionally. So finding those ways to really get close to your charitable gifts and not have it be something that is arm's length, so to speak, is what really brings out, I think, the wonderful joy and human connection that charitable giving can create. Betsy, if you were to break this down to like three or four easy steps, things you should do, steps you should take, how would you break that down? I would say first and foremost to articulate your passions and what we like to call your charitable mission. Take some time to actually sit down and articulate your values. What has your family taught you about giving back? What did your parents and grandparents value? What kinds of values are you instilling in your children's lives? Get all of that down on paper. Even actually have a daughter or a son interview you and ask some strategic questions. It's always wonderful to capture these things on video so they exist in perpetuity, but getting your mission down, getting your passions down, then learning about the landscape of organizations, identifying those that are most aligned, and then coming to understand what their needs are and finding that place where a private donor can plug in and respond to a need today, a need tomorrow, a need down the road that will strategically enhance the work of that nonprofit. And make sure the nonprofit communicates with you. How wonderful once a year, for example, to receive 
a letter from the organization. Receive their annual report where you're acknowledged to really see firsthand in writing what your charitable investment has achieved. So mission and passion, become informed, make sure that your gift is strategic and that you've assessed along with the nonprofit what their needs are, and make sure there's communication on an ongoing basis about their impact. And then, of course, involve others. Involve your kids today. Explore new organizations and some of their interest areas. Help them be a part of the giving ethos of your family. Some great, great advice. Betsy, as we close, give out your website because you have a series of articles that can really help and go a long way in making somebody an informed philanthropist, which is what you advocate. Well, our website is www.strat, S-T-R-A-T, philanthropy, which you all know how to spell, dot com. And just a little background on us. We're a global philanthropic advisory firm. We're headquartered in Chicago. Although 70% of our clients are not based in Chicago. And as we said earlier, Jim, you asked this very strategic and important question. We work with our clients' legal and financial advisors to ensure that there's a strategic and professional support in managing their philanthropic investment. And I would say there's never a better moment than, as you said, during the holidays to reflect on your giving, to make it strategic, to be smart, and to really create a relationship with the organizations you support. There's great joy, smile on my face, and passion that one can associate regularly with being involved in charitable giving. Well, as they say, tis this season for giving. Betsy, I want to thank you for joining us on our program. I really appreciate it. I really wanted to get in touch with you because this is the time of the year. I have a lot of clients that call us and ask for advice. And especially, you know, if you're listening to this program, you're working with an advisor and you're thinking of setting up a charitable remainder trust where you're going to make a substantial amount of gifts to a particular charity, getting involved with that charity before you just put them in your trust is a great idea. Betsy, thanks so much for your time and happy holidays to you. Thank you, Jim, and happy holidays to you. Well, that concludes my interview with Betsy Brill. And do yourself a favor, visit her website if you're thinking of setting up a charitable trust or maybe making a substantial donation to some charitable organization. There's a lot of great stuff there that can help you become informed, as she talked about, becoming an informed philanthropist. It's a great satisfaction to know that what you are ready to do or getting ready to do can make a difference in somebody's life. I'm Jim Poplava. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to Financial Sense News Hour in the iTunes and BlackBerry podcast libraries or at feeds.feedburner.com slash FSM. Find more information about our guests at www.financialsense.com slash newshour. Friend us at www.facebook.com slash financialsenseonline. 
For our on-the-go listeners, you can access Financial Sense on your mobile device at m.financialsense.com. The Financial Sense News Hour is for informational and educational purposes only and should not be considered as a solicitation or offer to purchase or sell any securities. The investments, investment strategies, and investment philosophies discussed or presented on the News Hour each involve their own unique risk factors, which are not discussed on the show. Responses to listener inquiries are based on the personal opinions of James Poplava and do not take into account listeners' suitability, objectives, or risk tolerance. Financial Sense News Hour and its parent company shall not be liable for any financial losses that result from investing in any companies profiled on or advertising with Financial Sense or arising out of the use of any material on the News Hour. Be advised that you invest at your own risk. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.